And welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh! Brought to you by Thrabinol's slightly used Emporium of Dungeon Goods. <laughs> A fine purveyor of dungeon wares everywhere you may go. That's right. For your dungeon uh, uh, dressing needs, look up Tharaval. Well, when you have that out-of-place wall sconce, when pesky adventurers have gone careening through your dungeon and smashed all of your chests, look up Thorvald. He's got replacements for everything. Also, look into his dungeon dressing insurance package. Mm-hmm. And, so that's out of the way, <laughs> we have some topic for you tonight, and hope you enjoy it. In the meantime, we also have some call-ins. Call-ins from Frothsoff. Ah, Frothsoff. Right on, man. Let's yeah. hear what Broth's got to say. Right, back after the break. Gentlemen, it's Froth. Loving the humanoid episode. There's always strange parallels between what y'all are talking about. Because when you're doing the Underdark episode, I mentioned a running night below, and now they're in this section called the Great Rock Dale that's not really fleshed out in that module. But I'm using a famous classic adventure with kind of a bunch of caves not far from civilization you can guess which one and so this was really timely with it and uh hearing y'all mention the the bugbear's um taste for sadism just really uh, warmed my heart it was like sweet nectar hearing that so anyway keep up the good work bye and thank you for those kind words yeah we really enjoyed doing the humanoids episode and we've kind of been having that for around for a while but uh, we finally pulled the trigger on that one so yeah glad you liked it unsung heroes of the dungeon uh, these are your staple monsters and you know we kind of owed them a nod you know a little yeah. thank you for thank you for being a friend oh, well, well for being an enemy yeah <laughs> thank you for all the damage and crit i with friends like these who needs enemies mm. uh, no yeah. they they are a worthy topic i'm glad you enjoyed yeah, and glad to hear your campaign is taking a diversion to those unknown caves of <laughs> miscranery and lawlessness. Little holes in the ground that are equal to the caves of chaos. So, yeah, let us know how that goes, especially the bugbear enclave in there. Oh, yeah, are my favorite part. I just, I, I love a suitably vicious opponent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're so friendly at first, you know, they're offering you a free meal. Well, you know that you're on the menu, but hey. How to serve man. Mm. And elf, and dwarf. <laughs> yeah, braised with a little garnish on the side. Yeah, a little catnip here. <laughs> yeah, I hope your players enjoy that too. Gaze uh, of Chaos is a classic for a reason. It's just one of those things you can just go back to over and over. <laughs> one of the well-beloved standards of the industry. Uh, the, you know... Arguably one of the best offerings out of the very first edition modules. Mm -hmm. I still look back uh, <laughs> on the basic version, I believe, uh, was yeah. the first one I encountered. Uh, Caves of Chaos in basic edition. Yeah. And you know what? I campaign in a module. It just, wow. It's the whole package. Yep. Well worth the money, even hunting it up online now. Any DM can take notes and lessons from this uh, not to gush too much, but, you know, you can all take notes and lessons from a product that good. Yep. And more importantly, it just leads to so much fun with 
all the different humanoids, and that's the thing we kind of wanted to cover about was the culture of humanoids, and uh, we didn't get much time on that as we would have liked, but maybe another time we'll revisit humanoids as far as a culture. And uh, I had some uh, brush-ups with that on um, Twitter, and uh, that was worth uh, some thought on my part as well. It caused me to take some stuff back about what I thought and said in the previous which is always good. Reflection is a good part of being a DM, is looking back at what you once thought as a cardinal rule and taking stock of it and seeing where, really, why do you cling to these things? What What is the reason for these oh, ideas? Is it truly necessary or not? Right. <clears throat> and I do, I do still think it's necessary, but there's some different approaches that uh, I think is uh, worth mentioning. But again... Equally valid. We'll Something to cover in another topic. Yeah. So what topic are we going to deal with tonight? Well, I got one. The age-old nemesis of the tabletop game. Indeed. And when this was brought up, I literally, you know, felt the flutter of excitement in my chest because it's a worthy discussion point. This, it's a facet of every gamer's life. Every DM has been plagued or blessed. It depends on how you look at it. But we've all encountered this creature at the table. The horrid Min Maxer. <gasps> oh, oh, you yep. steal my heart. And, you know, their reputation for gasps and clenched fists and angry glares is well deserved because the Min Maxer can be both bane and benefit. Yeah, I mean, we're really going to just, you know, kind of treat this with a little reverence because. Uh, far from mere hostility, which I, I'm sure every DM has one story of somebody who, like, I can't believe somebody even came to my table trying to push this off on me. I, I just don't believe it. <laughs> uh, that having been said, it's, an, it's nearly a cultural trope amongst gamers. It's something that's just a facet of gamer culture. Uh, it's woven into almost all fantasy video games. Uh, yeah. You know, the character creation process is rife with possibilities for uh, point allocation and min-maxing galore. And it's a defensible conduct within reason. Right. Uh, so uh, it, it's not, we're not just taking a, oh, these are the worst people ever. No, no, it, it's it's part of who and what we are. I feel attacked. We got to own a little of it, but there are limits. Yes, there is limits. And part of it comes from a desire to optimize your character to be efficient at whatever it is, even if it's... Uh, it doesn't always have to be combat, but normally it is. This is where you hear it from. Is that, that you know, Normally, they're... In most cases, they're combat monsters. They're built to dominate the battlefield and just annihilate opponents. And in a game which is rife with many monstrous creatures and horrific opponents, yeah, they are good. They do, they do serve a purpose. That's one thing that we should say yeah. to start with. They, Coming right out of the gate, you know, it's it's just frank to admit that if you've got a tough DM, uh, and the monsters that are going to be in front of the player characters are going to be very challenging, players will naturally begin to drift towards min-maxing. They will mm -hmm. start to give a thought to, how can I come on strong? How can I deliver the goods in combat and get out of this game alive? Because I'd, I'd like to see 10th level, you know. Right. Uh, and, you know, it is a kind of comp competitive atmosphere in gaming. There is a certain amount of, even though everybody wins when everybody wins, and 
everybody has fun when everybody has fun. That's something to embrace, but in having fun, sometimes you have to overcome obstacles. And some of the obstacles that are put out there can be very formidable. Now, to start with, you know, um, my kid right on the head right there, right out the gate, that if you have a tough DM, or you are a tough DM, you're going to want to make your characters as the best that they can be and perform at the highest level of play. Now, sometimes that's just rules knowledge, but most of the time there are advantages inside the game if you look for them. Yeah, and this loophole uh, state of mind, uh, it's been around since the beginning, uh, more so in the earliest editions of D&D where and maybe they hadn't play-tested and, you know, just carefully tweaked everything to make sure that there were no serious rules gaps. Uh, and periodically you ran into players who would make the fullest possible use of that oversight. Uh, to the point that it was, well, and I hesitate to use the term in reference to fantasy gaming, but unrealistic. Yeah. Uh, where you, you've got a character who... Uh, say, for instance, and I, I mean this only theoretically, there's no basis for this, but as an example, it's one thing to have a movement speed that is pretty solid. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, to have it augmented a little bit so that the character is pretty fast. Uh, it would be another thing if a rules loophole, a little accidental reference, meant that with a very small tweak in the, you know, spending of a few points, they are now, despite being clad in plate mail, faster than a cheetah. Mm -hmm. That would be the kind of ludicrous overreach that we're talking about as, as a negative. Uh, whereas simply building a strong character with a, a set of traits that work well together to give you a good basis in combat, that's different. That's not a bad thing. I don't want to badmouth that. No, and you know, more to the point, in the early days, I found out that the Bastard Sword was a nice oh. uh, kind of loophole because it allowed you to use a shield, but then when, you know, the chips were down and you wanted to really down something, it still had a serious oomph effect when you used it two-handed. Oh, yeah, just a couple points shy of the total damage power available to the two-handed sword uh, when wielded two-handed. But yet, it can still be wielded one-handed and get the full use of a shield. Yeah, and you could switch back and forth depending on need. You're like, hey, you're going into that giant's lair, um, and you're about to get boulders hucked at you. You know, maybe you want that extra couple of points provided to you by the shield, assuming you've got a, a either a very large shield or a magic shield. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're going to want that armor class. Go ahead. And then you close hand-to-hand. -hand. That missile fire isn't such an issue anymore. Ditch the shield and start swinging like there's no tomorrow. Right, two hands. Yep. But, uh, you know, that's kind of... Not really. That's uh, not a true min-max. Yeah, that's not a build. And that didn't start... I mean, there were characters that were around there. I guess uh, the Cavalier-Paladin combination was a little OP. Oh, yeah, all right. The com combination of the powers as one single-player character was a bit much. Okay, mm -hmm. that, that, may have, that may have been taking it too far. Now, and the truth is, the two classes segued well together in concept. Uh, the yeah. rigorous adherence to law, uh, you know, knightly code, chivalry, all of that 
seemed on the surface like, oh, wow, these really belong together. You know, here's somebody who picks out the greatest opponent and on the field and strikes first. But if you looked carefully at the list of benefits and powers mm-hmm. that each class gained, fusing the two of them together was just asking for trouble. Oh, yeah. That was terrible. It was not intended originally to be one single class. No. And... More to the point, you know, it had its uh, it had its moment in time, and for better or for worse, the uh, the game moved on. Now, um, when you have players that uh, min max, primarily what we're talking about is the more modern and recent systems. And as much as certain games have tried to get rid of them, others have embraced it. Um, they have, like Pathfinder, for instance, optimizes quite a bit in your uh, class, race, and optimizations of feats. So all classes can now min-max more than just being in combat. So you can have a character that just completely dominates social interactions. and Oh, um, yeah. If they've micro-specialized. And remember, I, I will say in Pathfinder's defense that this has been done with an eye towards fairness in that you, know, you have an allotment of points to spend. And you can get some pretty amazing results, but those points got to come from somewhere. Yeah. They're coming out of somewhere else. You are not going to be a rocking deity of combat and an amazing social graces person who also slings a mighty spell at the same time. Can't be done. No, I mean, you can have the Zen Archer monk riding a broom of flying, killing Terrasks at 15th level with brilliant <laughs> energy arrows, but uh, that's for another story. That's a very niche character that doesn't really translate well out of a specific area. I mean, yeah, they fly over the battlefield, they're never hit. But at the same time, you can't, they have to come down off that broom sometime, kid. Oh, well, and nobody said there's no such thing as a flying opponent. And if the That's DM right. is on their feet, and, and this is a point well worth bringing up. Right. That, That's uh, where we're going with this. A strong min maxer brings out more from the DM because your only mistake in having a min maxer at the table is, is not in having refused to shut them down, but having refused to upscale the challenges to meet them. Uh, which, admittedly, that's that's an arms race you're getting into with your players. So, if you've only got one min-maxer, it's probably wiser to nerf them. And just be tough and say no. Uh, if you have five min-maxers, let's slip the dogs of war! Yep, your beholder. Blackguard, writing... Or, excuse me, the illicit blackguard riding a beholder. <laughs> Who's also an eldritch knight. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. That uh, that actually sounds hilarious. Uh, horrifying, yet hilarious. Because just, you know, beholder balloon-like shape. And just this illicit riding on top of it. Holding on to, you know, holding on to the eye stocks for glory. Yeah. Woo! Shutting down those magic users and killing all those fighters. Yep. That's how it works. But, more to the point, when you do have mid-maxers, you know, what do you do with them? And uh, a lot of DMs, you know, it's trouble. Especially if you're kind of inexperienced at it. Or it comes out of nowhere. It's a new player. You don't have a whole lot of knowledge about what their play styles and expectations for the game are. Then, yes, you do have to kind of come to terms with them and, and explain to them that this is not this kind of campaign. And most players if they're worth their salt, will give some credence to what the DM says and kind of back down a little bit. 
But if they don't, then, well, there's other ways. Sometimes it's just an exploitation of a badly written or badly interpreted rule that just needs some mongering and an eye to detail on how it works. Those can also be effective tools, but they're not very fun. And Yeah, it, it's boring to say it, but I, in some cases you can curb a min-maxer just with some rules clarifications that apply to everybody at the table equally. That, uh, you know, like I, I know the book says that under this circumstance a plus four is applied. Uh, none of you will be getting that. I'm yeah. going to make that just a plus one. Um, you know, that, if their concept was to guarantee instantaneous hits and, like, almost near certain crits, you can nerf it if you like. It, it may ruffle feathers, uh, but, again, I mean, it stands by our credo that's like, the, the DM, whomever they are, has to own the table. Yeah, and it's it comes down to when no one's out is having fun but them and Maxer. It is now not just your obligation, but it is your sacred duty to come down on the favor of the other players and explain, or if necessary, adjudicate fruitlessly uh, in favor of game balance. And game balance is kind of a hilariously named term because it really doesn't exist. <laughs> but we do know when it's broken. Yeah, it's it's... It's such a nebulous concept. Yeah. Uh, game balance, okay? It, it's essential to every DM, and min-maxers can upheave that fairly easily. Uh, well, the but, rules say I'm right. Yeah, but they also say you're a jerk. Yeah. And you, nothing about being right necessarily means that you're going to get what you want. Uh, the rules also don't say a whole lot about fair. So, <laughs> uh, no, uh, examples being the, you know, like, custom crafting, using perfectly legitimate rules, uh, custom crafting various, uh, you know, races for players to play. Uh, it's very easy to accidentally wind up with something that's OP uh, in a group of first levelers. Now, they might be paying a level limit where, oh, sure, they've got a, it's going to take them... Uh, 40,000 XPs to get to level oh, 2. Oh boy, yeah. Okay, I, I hear you. You know, and so theoretically, in accordance with the rules, the OP race has been dealt with. I, the, the cost to advance uh, equals the power. But that's not the only thing under consideration. It's also that there's going to be a few other people at the table and they're going to be starting off with non-OP races. So they've, they've got this one creature that's equivalent to a 4th or 6th level, you know, character running around, just running roughshod over the campaign, while they kind of stand there going, well, well that was impressive. Uh, which, if you're trying to engage a table full of players, that's too much. And that's right. when the nerf comes out, which is like, I know the rules say that you can do this, but it's not going to happen at this table, and I'm sorry. Uh, I want everybody to be on a level footing coming out of the gate. I don't want them uh, standing back and watching one person glory hog it. Uh, yeah, and you're going to have certain circumstances, even if you embrace a mild amount of min-maxing, where certain characters are going to dominate in, in a particular combat or... Uh, facet of combat, or even uh, social combat, if you really want to get into that. 
Oh, yeah. But having a good mix of skills, like one party member who's a strong archer and another person who's keen on the backstab and a third person who's mighty handy in a sword fight, you know, breaking it up so that everybody's got their strength and everybody's got their weakness, oh, that's more like it. Yeah, and different uh, encounters are going to have uh, different modifiers and, you know, situations that only apply to that particular encounter. So some will be advantaged and some will be disadvantaged. So that's another way to uh, break it up is... If you have a person who's really powerful at archery, you know, put them in some tunnels where uh, distance and uh, sight is a factor. You know, where the, you, you can't shoot at what you can't see until it strikes, then, you know, you're uh, neg- regulating them to held actions and standard actions, which preclude a lot of use of abilities that require full round actions and such. So that's kind of a little bit more technical explanation of just basically you can cheat a little bit as the DM to make it fair. And, you know, that's probably the best compromise you can get. Now, in praise of the min-maxer, you know, they do have their place in the game, and it's kind of wrong to just poo-poo them right off. But if they are a problem, then you have, you have to deal with it. And yeah, we've, we've talked about the problems of them for a moment there. Let's talk about the benefits. Okay? Right. If you got an entire team of players, and you know somebody's a min-maxer, it behooves you to work with your other players to min-max their characters. Uh, Help each of them have an area of great strength. Uh, Then, as the DM, and I know it's more homework, but it's kind of worth it. It's kind of the entry fee for what we do. You know, you you got to pay this piper. Uh, You do the homework to build custom challenges throughout their adventures that, hey, if you have taken time to work with them and know the ins and outs of their character, you also know their strengths and weaknesses, uh, the limits of their abilities, and the things that they may not be able to cope with so easily. So, all right, sure, they can wade through a horde of orcs in record time. You know, just spells lashing out every which way, uh, empowered for maximum effect, and uh, two, you know, a blade in each hand, and they're mowing them down like wheat. That scenario works great for them. How strong are they against aerial encounters? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what happens when they encounter the invisible? How well prepared are they for things that are partially incorporeal or for swarms? These oh, constructs, undead, you know, things that oozes. Yeah, these are all options on the table for the DM. And I'm not saying you should hit them with every single one of these things every session. <laughs> oh, no. But in the course of a campaign, they should repeatedly run across things that uniquely challenge their characters. They're well-prepared. They're min-maxed. You've helped everybody have a level foot so that they're all superstars at the same time. Then you place a challenge in front of them where each of them will get a chance to shine. Like, oh, well, this one calls for the mage with the right kind of magic. This one calls for that two-fisted fighter. And this one calls for that super sneaky rogue. Uh, That's the DM planning we're talking about that takes the edge off of the pain of having a min-maxed party. Yeah, and I uh, value myself a conscientious min-maxer. I tend to play a sorcerer a lot more than a wizard. But uh, when Mike was playing in my campaign where he was playing a wizard, the one power he had is that, well, my sorcerer could whip out fireballs and lightning bolts. You know, I'm a walking, talking wand of fireballs and lightning bolts here, buddy. 
you know, yeah, that's what I do, but, you know, the wizard is versatile and can have that clutch smell in a moment that makes everybody go, you know what, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I micro-specialized in the unusual spells that people didn't plan on. Like I, Grease. I focused on problem-solving uh, and unique spell combos rather than fireball, fireball, fireball. I wanted to be something a little different. And, oh boy, you know, a Grease spell with a push spell... Uh, no, it was uh, we were to ogres into a pit. Yeah, there was a two hundred foot deep pit in the middle of this encampment in Rise of the Rune Lords, and uh, these ogres came out at us. And so we worked out a quick tactic of casting darkness in front of it for my sorcerer, and then might cast in an uh, increased area of effect grease spell, and they all slid right into the two hundred foot deep pit. All eighteen ogres, <laughs> <laughs> one first level spell. Yeah, destroyed. Yeah, darkness, grease, and a long, horrible slide into doom. Uh, <laughs> you know, a fireball at that level of play still only would have done something more like uh, 10 die 6 points of damage. Yeah. However, that pit did 20 die 6. <laughs> we still talk about it today, so, you know, never... That's the old school in Mike, is that the grease spell, you know, like, hey, you can use your enlarged feet. And increase the area of effect. Oh, yeah? Yep. Yep, lights out in a frat party. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, also creative use of the wall spells uh, of various types. Walls of fire, walls of stone, uh, you know, yeah. wall of ice. Uh, creative usage of same. Uh, limiting the movements of your opponents. There are all kinds of things a player can do that don't necessarily constitute min-maxing, but are the most... Surprise effective use of a spell. Yeah, and it's not OP. It, it may seem OP. But... Oh, well, it feels like it if your carefully planned encounter as a DM goes belly up, oh dear players. But... Uh, and I felt that pain more than once. <laughs> but you have, to, you have to lump it sometimes as a DM and just let players be players. And that's the big thing is that. Oh, I set up a room filled with opponents, uh, and it was more like a cavern, uh, like a cave jungle, like a cave mushroom jungle, okay? Oh, okay. Uh, so it was full of, like, you know, uh, mushrooms and lots of stuff to provide cover. And there were large numbers of opponents with missile weapons. And I didn't bunch the opponents together because my players would just fireball the crap out of them. And I, I knew that that was how things were going to go. So as a DM, the choice I made was, okay... These are smart creatures. They are going to think tactically. Uh, it was Darrow and Dwergar mm. who had been charmed into the service of a more powerful group of creatures. And the Darrow and Dwergar did not clump together beyond groups of three to five. There were yeah. about 40 of them in that room. Well, the players, thinking on their feet, one of them had the ability to cast Wall of Force using his staff. And he plunked that wall of force down and pinned down about a quarter. So 25% of my opponents were cordoned off in an area where they could no longer affect the fight uh, by a well-placed, properly measured wall of force. Now, you know, taking 25% of your enemies out of the fight while you mop up the rest of them was a smart move. Uh, they still had one heck of a tough fight. And... I, I feel like that was one of my better ones, because I incapacitated one character uh, completely. I reduced another to 
you know, such low hit points that they were, you know, moved to the back of the party and were temporarily out of the fight while they tried to heal up. Uh, and I savagely maimed most of the frontline fighters. Mm. So, you know, they, they paid in blood and uh, hard work and a lot of spell fire. They exhaust a lot to win that fight. And that's what I'm talking about. You know, very strong right. party, lots of magic items, strong abilities, but you match the challenge to them. Right. And you don't have to do this for every encounter. Sometimes just let them be players and just let them run roughshod over things. They'll enjoy that too, and that's part of oh, the game yeah. is letting them enjoy having a well-built and powerful character. But more to the point, min-maxing usually shows at the lowest levels. Is Like, for instance, the much-dreaded second edition, Dark Specialists. Oh, yeah, this this is a loophole well worth mentioning because it's a classic, perfect example of abuse of the system. All of it was legal, uh, yeah. but combined, nightmarish. Using a points build, the character lowered all their stats except two to six, then placed all their points from lowering their stats into having an 18 over double zero percentile strength and a 16 dexterity. Wore no armor, purchased nothing but darts, and lots of them. Four pouches of darts, plus two bandoliers filled with darts. They were entitled at first level to six attacks a round. And they had dart specialization if they were in point-blank range, where they did extra damage. Uh, At the kind of 1.5 phase of the game... uh, before the release of second edition. Oh no, this was they, second. This the was full First on. level fighter started with four proficiency points to spend on weapons they could be skilled with. And by spending one of them uh, to ensure that they had the skill for the darts, a second to specialize. Well, missile weapons took two. Oh, did they? Yes. And the last one was ambidexterity, was it not? Yes. Which could only be achieved with a dexterity of 16 or greater. Yeah, and those were perfectly legitimate rules under the second edition of the game as well. With all four points spent, you now had an ambidextrous, uh, you know, dual-wielding effective character hurling darts with both hands. And the dart was listed as having three could be thrown each round. Now, its damage was pretty puny. Die three versus... One to three versus small and medium creatures, one to two versus large. But what happens when a hurled weapon uh, with a strength bonus to damage and the bonus from specialization at point-blank range kicks in? So all of a sudden, in close combat, you have a weapon that literally can't do less than seven and is probably going to do more like ten. It did, um, they got six from their strength, plus two for the uh, specialization. And the rate of fire is normally three. Oh, I thought... For the uh, dart, but they get the double increase with two hands, so they're throwing darts. This is a character I ran into in uh, Living City. It was Raven's Bluff. And it was an RPGA tournament. And uh, it was kind of, at the dawn of the internet, it was kind of like a, like, here's a cheat build. Here you go. Yeah, somebody put this on the table as a possibility and passed it around. And, of course, these things, they drift their way through the Internet, and there's always somebody out there who's like, I'm totally going to try this. And they did. And, uh, yeah, their character, they, had, they were facing an ogre that was meant to 
in many ways, just threaten the players. You weren't required to fight them. You could if you wanted. But, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where you just encounter an ogre at first level. And this could be pretty tough. Oh, yeah. To fight an ogre at first level is a pretty nightmarish encounter, even for a well-prepared, well-varied party. Uh, I've known players that, when presented with that option, uh, carefully withdrew and then started a running battle where right. you know, they set up archers at different points to try to whittle the ogre down until it met a rank of a couple of good fighters uh, so that it was already reduced in hit points when it finally collided with the, the hand-to-hand combatants. But tactics are called for. And well, right, and this was the other a option? specific one. They just sort of, this was part of a magical spell, and it just appeared out of a rogue summoning. Anyway, is it, it was right in the middle of the party, so they had little option other than either to flee or try to fight, find cover and whatnot. This guy just downed it and then looked triumphantly around, like he had just accomplished a great thing. And kudos to him for taking advantage of this rules loophole. Now later. They would address this, that saying that weapons are now li- limited to the main dice of their damage. So if something did 8 maximum from the dice, you can only have 8 points of damage, which, well, thanks for ruining it for us. This is why we can't have nice things, Mr. Min-Maxer, dart specialist. We're looking at you. But in <laughs> retrospect, it was needed to do, be done because it, you just couldn't throw out dart specialization from the because then you would like, oh, what about dagger specialization? Which, okay, you can only throw two of those around. But you're still in the same boat. You know, it, it quickly became apparent that... Something uh, was wrong here. And so they they did change, but before that, that character, I took a look at it, and, well, in retrospect, um, things were said, <laughs> unkind words and uh, were exchanged, and uh, a ripped character sheet later... <laughs> Uh, I was uh, asked to leave the table as the DM, but I still stood by my ground on it. Was it absolutely necessary to urinate on the burned remains out? No, I did not set it on fire, but I, you know, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. But, yeah, that, that's... <laughs> I had to justify my actions, I had to sit in a room and like, get yelled at, and uh, I've been yelled at before, don't bother me that much. But uh, in this case, it was warranted, and uh, the player was basically just bigfooting, and a lot of other people who had put time into crafting characters for a specific encounter. This was a Polyumet uh, premiere game as well that uh, people paid for. He uh, he later would, uh, as I find out through other channels, find his way banned from table to table in inside the RPG A, which was. Uh, that's rather hard to do. Yeah, you've really got to offend a lot of people to pull that off. I mean, honestly, you know, this was trolling before the age of trolling. Yeah, he was basically just getting, uh, he'd go there and just to wreck games and not, you know, not have fun. And if you're running with that kind of player, it's best to end it part ways. Maybe sometimes you can't uh, meet everybody in the middle. But one of the easy ways is uh, to start with a min-maxer or know that you're dealing with a min-maxer. Set the expectations. Tell them, like, hey, you know, find a great a niche that appeals to you and uh, go with that and I will you know help you and facilitate your idea of fun but you have to respect the other players don't try to make it so that no one else can have a turn in combat and you know for that the min-maxer 
they're still good role players. And the best thing is, is oh, you yeah. teach them that the love of the game is having fun with your character, even if it's a really tough These are not rate. mutually exclusive things. You can love a good role-playing game and play a terrific character with a lot of interesting facets to it and be a min-maxer at the same time. And I'm as guilty of some isolated incidents. <laughs> uh, Randy knows a couple of characters of mine that were that were built for harm. Okay. Yep. Uh, or, well, built for maximum usefulness, particularly a rogue named Thorn. Yes. Who was just by design intended to shepherd a lot of lesser experienced players. So I knew I was going to be throwing myself in the grist mill literally every week with a bunch of very wet behind the ears players who didn't know what they were getting into. So uh, my job as point man was I'm not really kitted out to be a damage sponge, but I am going to dodge the crap out of this. Yep. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, is just having fun. So, if you're a min-maxer and you feel attacked by this, don't. Because no, this is no. in praise of people who do it well, and also make it fun for everybody else to be at the table. Yeah. You if, bring a lot to the game. And if, if you are a person who takes fun away from the table, well, shame on you. Yeah, that's the only thing that could possibly be done wrong. Uh, you know, if you diminish everybody else's ability to participate, and it's really turning into a one-person game... Uh, that's an act of wrongdoing. But building a strong character and then being able to use it to your advantage and to the advantage of your party in play, no, good on you. Go for it. No shame. All right. Well, I think we've covered that topic pretty well, and we did a great job. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, there and you have it. The, the, the final word from the, you know, uh, funky basement musk of gamer podcasts. Ooh. With Shad Kirkin. Oh. <laughs> Wood paneling. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <clears throat> oh, wow. Uh, all right, the, the 70s velour show <laughs> of gamers podcasts. Well, at least we aren't the shagging wagon. <laughs> all right. Well, if you if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you let us know on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, on, of course, Facebook. You can join that group and just let us know what you like. What you think, whether you agree or disagree, or what we got right or what we got wrong, just let us know. And also, we're on Twitter, so you can interact with us directly. You can get a hold of me at Deathhand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D Gaming at Twitter. And Magi Vox at Twitter. Yeah, this cat hangs out there. You can get a hold of him. Once in a while. Yeah. I'm, I'm, He's a know. rare Twitter critter, but he is there. I flutter in, twit, and then depart. Who was that mass Twitterer? We'll never know. But he left behind this silver thread. He left behind this silver thread. Hi-ho, silver! Uh, away! And with that, may so the, will we. So may the dice always, always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.